Views and opinions of shows on KCNR are those of the hosts, guests, and callers only, and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of KCNR Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Dr. Patricia Bay, and you're tuning in to Therapy in a Nutshell here on KCNR 96.5 FM, 1460 AM, your talk radio. This is Dr. Patty, and today we're going to be talking about a question that gets posed to me quite often, and I thought it might be good to do a pretty in-depth look at this question. People say, I need to get into some therapy. I've been thinking about going to therapy, or I think it would be good for me to go to therapy, or I need to get my child into some therapy. How do I do that? What do I do? What do I need to consider? And there's, it can be as simple as make a phone call, make an appointment, but often it's more complicated than that. So I want to go over with you, why would you go to therapy? What are the things that people get into therapy for? Um, how to find somebody right for you. What are the financial issues and how do you ask the questions so that you know what to expect? Uh, by the end of the show, I want you to be well-versed in what are some people's fears about getting into therapy, um, about things that you might be afraid to ask but need to know, um, how to ask those questions, uh, what to expect when you go to therapy, how to be ready for your first appointment, um, what do you do if you don't like who you're seeing? And a bunch of things like that that are all concerns people have. And then when you do get into therapy with the right person and you're doing some really good work, how do you get out of your own way so that you really do what you need to do to feel better? I want to hope, I hope by the end of the show you've got a pretty good handle on those issues and you can kind of extrapolate them to how they fit for you and you can move forward with how to get some help from somebody who fits. So it sounds simple, but let's look at all the parameters. So get a pen and a paper, and when something resonates you with something that I say, write it down and know that that might be a direction you need to get some answers to or a way you need to proceed if you're looking to get into some therapy. So why do people go to therapy? There's a whole bunch of reasons. Sometimes they're just struggling with mood disorders like anxiety or depression. Um, They're tired of feeling that way. Sometimes it's more severe than that. Their mood disorder has led them to the brink of suicide or they maybe have even had a suicide attempt or they know someone who's committed suicide and and it scares them that they might go in that direction. Uh, Sometimes it's for what's called a complicated bereavement where you've had loss and grief issues and you're just getting worse and worse and worse instead of kind of wading your way through those difficult issues. Um, Sometimes you need the advice of somebody who doesn't have a dog in the fight, somebody who is not your family member or not your spouse, uh, not your boss. So somebody who's unbiased hopefully, and can see the forest for the trees and help you evaluate something you're trying to figure out. So getting into therapy, if you have had the thought, I I really would like to go see someone and talk about this, then this is a really good show for you to listen to because this is going to help you figure out how to do that. So how do you find somebody that's right for you? And I get that question all the time. I usually tell people to start with their doctor, 
their minister, their friends. If you are open enough to say to your friends, hey, I want to go talk to somebody about some issues. Have you heard of somebody good or have you seen anybody? Okay. But then a lot of people don't want someone to know they're going to therapy. So they don't ask their friends. But believe me, your doctor has heard that question many, many times. So you say it to your gynecologist or your regular doctor or your chiropractor or your acupuncturist, doesn't matter, Some your med, one of your medical professionals, and say, is there someone you recommend that you've heard is good or that you know does good work? And that's the place to start. Get a few names and see what, you know, what, what you hear about their reputation. Then, once you've got some names, you can Google that person. You'll come up with a whole ton of stuff hopefully, uh, good stuff. You might find their website, which might explain their theoretical perspective, might give you a sense of who they are as a person, uh, you know, things like that. And that's a, a starting place to see who this person is. The other thing is you want to check into their credentials. You want to find a therapist who's licensed. And if they're licensed, that means they've done the education, they've taken the exams, they're smart enough to have passed them, uh, they have a license, which means that there's regulation into their profession. And that does not ensure that you've got someone good, but it usually is in a better direction that you're finding somebody who follows the standards of their licensure and their profession. And that's stepping in a good direction. Let me give you an example. There are a lot of licensed therapists that do hypnosis. Uh, For example, when I first was trained in hypnosis, we had to have 100 hours in hypnosis training, and then we had to have like an internship in it and a licensed hypnotist that we had to staff our cases with, and then we had to go back for a second training before we were ever licensed in hypnosis. And it was a separate license to my therapy license. Then that license got dropped, and at least by the state of California. And people could go do a weekend hypnosis training and then call themselves a hypnotist and hang out a shingle and say, I do hypnosis, which was all well and good when somebody didn't have really deep, horrid issues, difficult, deep issues that could short-circuit them, like for quitting smoking or losing weight or something, and the person was basically healthy. But if you had somebody who had really complicated issues, for example, I had a Vietnam vet once that I did hypnosis with, and he went into a full-on ab reaction. Um, I knew that he was a Vietnam vet. We were doing hypnosis for him to work on quitting smoking and drinking as much. And he went into a full-on ab reaction, which was he was gone. He was out of his chair, on the floor, sobbing. And I needed to know how to handle that extreme emotional reaction without harming him. Because if he got left in that state, he could have ended up being suicidal or stuck in those emotional issues. Somebody who is trained, well-trained in both the therapeutic aspects and the hypnotic aspects of therapeutic hypnosis has that training, not Every person does. So it's, I'm, I'm truly not trying to diss on people who just have the weekend hypnosis license. There might be places for that. But you don't always know when somebody's going to have a real deep, wounded emotional reaction. So having somebody who's trained in what you are going to do is important. So checking out that they're licensed, that their license is in good standing. You can go to the local 
uh, the online boards for those professions and make sure the person is licensed in good standing. Their license isn't in flux and for some reason. So you don't necessarily have to have somebody that is a medical doctor or even has a doctorate degree. Um, master's level therapists can be really good as well. So look and check out the different licenses and know what you're getting into. So when you're finding somebody right for you, what does the therapist's beliefs have to do with anything? Like I have had people call me over the years and say, I'm looking for a therapist who is of my religious persuasion. And I will often say to them, I honor all religions, and I do not interject anything I believe or don't believe into your therapy. So seeing me, you are supported in your religious beliefs. And I usually recommend they go see their own minister or whatever, uh, their bishop, their minister, whatever, and say, who do you recommend for therapy? But a good therapist, their beliefs, whether it's their political beliefs or their religious beliefs, should not be interjected into the therapeutic process. And it's so interesting because I don't interject my political beliefs as a general rule. And and most people assume that I believe exactly like them, whether it's religion or politics. They just, because I don't say anything about my own, they assume I feel like they do. And I'm just letting them talk about how they feel and their fears and their concerns. So when we come back, we're going to go to break in just a minute. I'm going to take you through how to deal with the financial issues of getting into therapy and what are some of the questions you should ask and how can you proceed so that you are prepared to do what you need to do financially. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. You're listening to the beautiful music of Randy McGinnis, Native American flutist. You can go to randymcginnis.com and check out all six of his CDs. He's won tons of awards, played all over the world, and his music is stunningly beautiful. Thank you, Randy McGinnis, for allowing us to use your Native American flute music on this show. I deeply appreciate it. Okay, everybody, we're talking about things to consider when you're getting into therapy and questions to ask and knowing what to expect when you've never done this before. So let's talk about financial issues with getting into therapy because there is a wide range of financial stuff in the therapeutic world. Um, There are nonprofit agencies that will have sliding scale. There are agencies that will take all types of insurance, whether it's Medicare, Medi-Cal, private insurance, um, sliding scale if you have a problem paying. So, if financial issues, if, you, if you're private pay, you need to be in therapy, but you don't have insurance, you don't have any kind of ability except for your own pocketbook to pay, and that's a difficulty for you, going to a nonprofit counseling center is probably a really good place to start because they will usually have programs in place for sliding scale and for helping people get into therapy that can't afford it. So be looking at counseling centers in, in your area. The other thing to do is to ask your medical doctor and your minister or whatever, our friends, for names. And then what you do is you get on your insurance company's website 
or you call your insurance company, which is very difficult. You could be on hold for hours. But on your insurance company website, you should be able to find a list of therapists in your area. And then see if on that list it coincides with any of the recommendations that have been given to you. And then that's a good place to start. If you call that therapist and say, uh, my friend recommended you, you're on my list of people who take my insurance. Um, I wanted to see if you were available, because not every therapist is available, they might be full up. I wanted to see if you had availability, and if so, how far out would that be, and what would be my financial obligations in coming to see you. You want to know if you have co-pays, or if they want payment up front and then they bill insurance or you bill insurance, if they're a preferred provider, they won't be doing that. They'll be taking your copay and billing for you. Uh, so you want to understand the insurance parameters and possibilities with that. There are other payment programs also like victim witness assistance when you're the victim of a crime. If you have been, if there is a criminal complaint that you're the victim of, and it's being prosecuted, or it's in the police department, whatever, you might qualify for free therapy by the victims of crime in your state. So you talk to your advocate, you talk to the police officer, you talk to the district attorney and say, is there a program for therapy for what I've been through? Or is there a victims of crime therapy program? So uh, those are ways to look at is there help to pay for the therapy that I need? Um, some employers have EAP, Employee Assistance Programs. Now, I want to give you what can be a complication for getting into therapy with insurance and with EAP programs. Uh, I've known of EAP programs that will tell their employees, you get free therapy as a benefit. Well, sometimes what that means is you get three sessions. Then they contract with some therapists in town. What they don't always tell you is that they pay very, very little to the therapist. Like, for example, they might pay $40 a session to a few therapists in town that are on their EAP program, and they will only give you three sessions. So the therapist that will take the very, very reduced fee and be allowed only three sessions um, aren't always the people who you would want to see if you had a choice. Because being limited to three sessions is very difficult. You can't get into anything really heavy. And they tell the therapist, well, then they'll go to, the person will go to private pay after those three sessions. And that doesn't necessarily work either. So your hands are kind of tied in the work you can do. And there's a lot of billing involved for very little pay. So if you have an EAP program, look into it carefully because it does not necessarily mean you get three really good sessions with a highly qualified person. Um, paying out of pocket is something you're, of course, free to do. But I always caution people that you don't want to start into really deep, good therapy when you say, okay, I've saved enough money for two sessions or three sessions because you might get into some really deep emotional issues that are hard to process in just one or two or three sessions. And then if you're out of time and money, that can be very difficult. And therapists will also be reluctant to take that because there are obligations that therapists have legally, ethically, and morally not to just leave somebody hanging when, for example, if after the third session you're stepping into really hard stuff and you're getting suicidal, a therapist can't say, okay, well, you can't pay me anymore. 
And you don't want to do that to them, and you don't want to do that to yourself either. So if you're going to pay out of pocket, make sure you know what to expect money-wise. Make sure if you are supposed to bring cash or check or debit card or credit card or Venmo or PayPal or whatever the thing is that the therapist takes, what's expected to you to pay how much at what time. And then if the therapist provides a super bill that you can turn into insurance to attempt any kind of reimbursement, or if you're not going to turn it in at all and just keep it cash pay out not with your insurance. So therapists generally want you to pay them every time you see them. And one of the reasons for that is not because they're being money-grubbing people. It's because it is bad therapy to allow a person to rack up a big, huge bill. It puts stress on them. It puts stress on the therapist. It leaves uh, things that you have to talk about that are not the therapeutic issues. They are the business issues of therapy. And so good therapists will say, look, I... I would like for you to pay every time you see me. Like I tell my clients, if you pay me at the beginning of a session, that's great because I don't want you to have to leave the session thinking about money. I want you to leave the session thinking about what we just worked on. So knowing what to expect financially is really important. Also, knowing that most therapists are not going to try to keep you there just to keep lining their pocketbook. It is my goal as a good therapist to say, I want you to get in, do your work, and I want you to not need me. I don't want you to be dependent on me because that's not healthy for you. And I don't need you to be here because I've got to put groceries on my table. This is about you and your needs and your work. And when you're done, if you're done in one session or 20 sessions, I want you to do the work you need to do and be able to leave feeling good about that. So, Some people are fearful that a therapist has their own personal agenda to keep you in therapy, to keep your money coming in. And I'm not saying that that could never happen because therapists are human. But if you have a really good therapist whose schedule is full, like I've, for 30 years, I've always had a waiting list. I don't have to keep someone in therapy to keep my my book full. But some therapists might be more desperate for clients. You can kind of get a feeling for that on how they talk and how they treat you and and whether they are really helping you move along in a good direction. So knowing what you're getting into is really important. Don't guess. Know how much the therapist charges for a 50-minute session. And therapists generally do 50-minute sessions, not 60-minute sessions, because There's 10 minutes between clients for you to process your notes, to put the file away, to get a drink of water, go to the bathroom, whatever. And that's why there's the famous 50-minute hour in therapy. So you'll be paying for a 50-minute session almost across the board. And you need to know what the charge is for that and what's expected of you. Uh, Be sure and bring your checkbook, bring the cash, bring your debit card. Because it can be very awkward when you're like, oh, I forgot to pay you last time, and I'm and I didn't bring my checkbook this time. It puts a damper on your therapy because now money's sitting in the room instead of what you agreed on. So financial issues are very important because you want to get into therapy in a manner that you can continue going. If you get into therapy that's above your head financially, it can short-circuit what you need to do. And... I know that 
for me as a therapist, if somebody says, I can only come in and see you three times or five times or six times or whatever, I'm going to be hesitant to open you wide up into your deep emotional issues because once we get into those, just telling you, okay, you can't, you're saying you can't come anymore, that's not right and it's not fair and it can be damaging to your growth and to your psyche. So I hope this is making sense about know where you are financially, know what the person expects of you, know what you expect of them financially, know how insurance is going to work or not work, um, and really answer all those questions. Uh, And it's really interesting because it's not all the same. Like here in California, Medi-Cal pays for therapy 100%. And has better coverage than if you have Blue Cross or Blue Shield, which will pay a very minute amount to a preferred provider who has to do a lot of billing and wait for payment and justify their diagnosis and all sorts of stuff. Medi-Cal you do as well, but justify your diagnosis. But you're you're paid 100% for sessions. Now, here's a difference. Most good therapists have a no-show policy. If you... Last-minute counsel, are you no-show? You are responsible for paying for that session. Now, stop and look at that from a business perspective. If a therapist is scheduled six to eight people during that day, and one or two or three of them don't show up, and they're just sitting there waiting, or they could have filled it from their waiting list, they are allowing you to be irresponsible. You have to make a commitment to what you're going to do, and that if you can't make your session, you're going to cancel with appropriate notice, like usually 24 hours notice, and you're going to be responsible for that session because it is a business arrangement between you and that healthcare provider. So one of the problems with seeing people that are on something like Medi-Cal is Medi-Cal will not allow clients to pay for their no-shows. So therapists doing Medi-Cal therapy often have a 40% no-show rate or more. And it's a, it's a huge cost of doing business. So therapy is a business, but it's also business with a heart. And there's also financial parameters for you and for the person who's offering the therapy to you. I hope that's making sense. All right, we're going to go to break. And when I come back, I want to talk to you about what are a lot of people's fears about getting into therapy. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty, and we're talking about getting into some therapy. So let's talk about the fears that people often have when they're going to start therapy for the first time, or even for a bigger time than when they maybe went a long time ago. One of the first things that I hear from people is, is it confidential? Is the therapist going to go home and talk to their spouse about it? Are they going to uh, tell my boss? Are they going to... um, put it on a billboard in the middle of the big highway. (laughs) They worry about confidentiality. And so there are ethical, moral, and legal obligations for therapists to keep your confidentiality. There's HIPAA laws now about who they can talk to and who they can't talk to. Now, that said, there are some exceptions to confidentiality. One is that therapists often do what's called staff their cases with other therapists. I have I do a lot of staffing with interns and with uh, newer therapists and things like that that will call me and say, can I toss this case by you? Now, know this. They will also not say your name. 
They will hide details so that you can't tell who it is. Uh, times that I've staffed cases, I've um, changed a lot of the parameters so somebody couldn't, you know, try and guess who this was because I often see a lot of high-profile people. Um, so I'll purposely disguise key things that have nothing to do with the therapeutic process but would keep somebody from maybe guessing who someone is. The reason therapists staff their cases is to get other insight, to check out a course of action that they're taking, to uh, just have other professional input. But your confidentiality should be preserved and is expected to be preserved. Now, let's talk about confidentiality and in, in like your teenagers coming into therapy. When I see a teenager in therapy, I sit the parents down and the teenager and I said, let's talk about confidentiality for a minute. You get to have confidentiality. You get to have a safe place to talk about your issues. And I am not going to tell your parents what you talk about in here. You can talk about drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, sex, anything, and I'm not going to go out and tell them what you're talking to me about. There is a caveat to that, though. If you tell me you're going to hurt yourself or you're going to hurt someone else or I feel that you're using drugs or alcohol in a manner that could kill you, I will not keep those things confidential. I will get you support and help for those. Now, you also need to know I'm not going to go running out the door and shouting it from the rooftops that you've got this problem. I'm going to get you appropriate help as quickly as possible to keep you safe. And you need to know that your parents will be told to get you help. But the other thing is your parents are paying for you to come to therapy. They need to know that you're okay They don't want to be blind in your medical care here. But I will also include you in what we talk to them about. So I might say to you as a teenager, do you think your parents might need to know about that? And we'll talk about how could you tell them. And we might arrange for them to come in the next session or maybe later in that session for you to tell them the concern. If you sit there and say, no, 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 I'm not ready because I don't feel safe with my parents or they're going to judge me or it's going to create a huge problem or it's going to make them get divorced or it's whatever, you that's a therapeutic issue to be worked on for you to communicate. And it's a confidentiality issue. Now, as minors, if somebody is abusing you um, sexually, emotionally, if there's neglect happening or child abuse, that cannot be kept confidential. And therapists have a legal, moral, ethical obligation to report that. And often within a parameter like 32 hours in writing and with a call. So just know that there are exceptions to the confidentiality and it's not because the therapist is shouting your business to the rooftops. The other thing is, even if you're not a minor, if you are going to harm yourself or someone else, those are things that a therapist is legally, morally, and ethically obligated to get you help. If you're going to hurt someone else, they ha- there's laws like what's called Tarasoff, big old name of a law, that says you have to report it to the intended victim and to the police department. So if you go into your therapist and say, I'm going to hurt somebody or you know, murder somebody, they have to step in. Now, let's look at the other part of that. If you go in and tell your therapist, like I had one guy come in and tell me, 30 years ago, I killed somebody. It was in the middle of a big drug deal. He was part of a gang. Um, He said he pulled out the gun and shot the guy. Uh, It was a long time ago. He didn't even know the guy's name. Did I have an obligation to call the police and report that? No. No. 
because there's nobody in current danger. So can you go in and talk about horrid things you've done or things that weigh on your conscience? Yes, you can. And you can even say to the therapist, if I talk to you about something I did 10 years ago that was against the law, are you going to have to report it? You can ask your therapist that before you disclose something. So confidentiality is important, and you can, you're can you always free to ask your therapist about your confidentiality, and I would encourage you to do so because you can only get work done in therapy if you feel safe, and the safety is a lot about your confidentiality. The safety is also about how comfortable do you feel. Do you feel like the person is listening to you? Uh, do they get you? Uh, are they messing with their own issues in the middle of yours? Is it is it complicated that you feel unheard? So confidentiality gets wrapped up in all of that. Another thing that I see people fear about going to therapy is that they're going to blow away the therapist with their issues. I swear, if somebody's been in practice long enough, which five plus years, ten plus years, they will have probably heard it a hundred times before. I cannot tell you the last time somebody has told me something that made me go, really? <laughs> you know, I, I've heard horrendous things so many times that I don't even, it doesn't even faze me. So if you think your sexual issues, the laws that you've broken, your money issues, your relationship things, um, your gender, your sexuality, the infidelity things that you've done or experienced, uh, your anxiety, depression, the rape, the sexual traumas that you've had, your PTSD, your military stuff is going to blow a therapist away you're probably in a land of fear that you don't need to be in. Because therapists have heard so much before, they really don't get blown away by your issues. Sometimes that's a reason that you might want to pick a more experienced therapist if you're worried about that. If you think that uh, someone fresh out of school and, and young is not going to have heard a lot of the horrid things that you think you've done or thought, Finding somebody with more experience, I can guarantee you, they probably, most likely, almost for sure, have heard it many times before. So don't let what you're afraid to tell your therapist blow you away and make you not go. Because in that, I'm afraid I'm going to blow my therapist away by telling them my horrid stuff, is the fear of judgment. This person's going to think I'm bad or horrible or not a worthwhile person and they're not going to want to see me. Are they going to judge me? Are they going to judge me silently and act like they like me? Are they listening to me, but they're really sitting there thinking I'm a horrid person? Say those things out loud in therapy. Like you can say, this is hard for me to share with you because I have always feared judgment for this thing that I've thought or done or I'm working on. And ask the therapist if it's safe to talk to them, and why you fear judgment for that. That's a therapeutic issue that's okay to bring out into the room. So often what's happening in therapy is a microcosm into what's happening in your real life. If you're fearing judgment for your, from your therapist, you might feel like you're getting judged in places in your life or have been judged a lot or have been found bad or wanting. And you don't want to risk that with somebody you're paying money to and you want to like you. Say it out loud, because in that thing that's happening right there in the room, there is insight into what's gone on for you in your life and can help you get into the underlying issues that are there. So 
fearing of getting into therapy, besides worrying about the money issues and the confidentiality and feeling comfortable with the person, what do you do if you get into a therapist that you're not comfortable with? What I tell people all the time is go to your first session or two or three and know that you're going to pay for those sessions. And one of the things you're checking out is do I feel comfortable with this person? Do I feel like I can be safe here and feel like, not even like-minded, but but listened to and understood? Do I feel good about this? And if you don't, a lot of people can't say, look, I don't think this is a good fit for me, although you, you could say that, and a therapist might say, okay, I understand that. But you can say, look, I want to think about this, and I will call you if I want to reschedule. So you're not leaving the person hanging. You don't make an appointment for next week and then not show up. You say, I will get back to you if I want to reschedule. I want to sit with this. And every therapist I know will say, okay, that's fine. I'll wait to hear from you. So you don't have to make another appointment if you're uncomfortable. I've had people come to me and say, my old therapist drove me nuts. Um, He actually got up and answered the phone in the middle of a session. Uh, He or she looked at their iPhone watch every time it buzzed and checked out who was messaging them. Um, One one person said, in fact, I heard this about one therapist many times, this this therapist constantly talked about him or herself and told stories about him or herself thinking it was going to help that person to hear their stories in detail and took up a whole lot of the session doing that. Uh, therapists that have said, I was so uncomfortable seeing this high-powered person that I couldn't, the therapist couldn't get comfortable and acted like they were so intimidated by me that I felt like this person isn't strong enough to see me. Those are things I've heard from people that say the therapy that they tried to get into wasn't a fit for them. So if your therapist does not feel like a safe place where you can really dig into your stuff and be challenged and listened to and supported and worked with, then it's okay to say, let me think about what I, how I want to proceed, and I will call you if I want to reschedule. So you don't have to feel stuck in the therapy that you're not liking, and you don't have to feel like you have to make a big scene in order to leave. Okay, we're going to go to break, and... When we come back, I want to tell you how to be prepared for your first session to actually get the most out of it and understand what to expect if you've never been in therapy before and you walk in and sit down. Most people are pretty nervous, and a good therapist will make you comfortable very quickly. But I want to tell you what to expect for your first session. So we're going to go to break, and we'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty, and we're talking about getting into some therapy. How do you do that? So what do you expect with your first appointment? Because notoriously, people who have never been in therapy before are super nervous before they go the first time. And not everybody. But people sit down, and they say, I'm so nervous. And I, and I usually say, what is it you're worried about? What are you nervous about? And they often say, I don't know, or... Uh, that I'm going to blow you away or something like that. But your, one of your jobs as your therapist is to help you sit down and be comfortable and start a process of disclosure and stepping into yourself at a pace that you can handle. 
Okay. Now that's, that's a dance that therapists do and some are better at it than others, but it's basically what they're trying to do. They want to create an environment for you where you feel safe, where they can join with you. That's a therapeutic term we use. That means you feel like you're in the presence of another human being, not some esoteric, uh, arrogant sort of person who knows everything or something like that, but with another human being who's going to give you the space and the freedom to make this 50 minutes all about you and your needs and help you feel comfortable doing that. That's the sign of a really good therapist. So they might, you know, share a moment or two with you about the weather or something benign, but mostly I, what I say to people is tell me what brought you in here today. What What is the help you're looking for? And they, they often say, I just, I just don't know where to start. And so I might take a bit of a history. Well, tell me a little bit about you. How old are you? Are you married? Do you have kids? How long have you been married? And I'll usually say things like, tell me your husband's name or tell me your wife's name so you can talk about Sally or you can talk about Bob. And I know who you're talking about. And you can feel comfortable not having to constantly say my wife or my husband or my partner. So... You're going to sit down and you're going to start to tell who you are. And you might have prepared a thought or two about what made you seek out therapy. For example, it's not unusual for somebody to say, this is my name, this is how old I am. Yeah, I'm I'm in a relationship or I have kids or I'm in school or whatever their situation is. And I wanted to reach out for therapy because I'm so tired of dealing with anxiety. I, I Depression just comes over me, and I'm so tired of it. I hate it. And I, I tried this and that, and I just don't know what to do. So you might have a sentence or two synopsis of what made you think about going to therapy. So it's not unusual for somebody to say, I'm trying to decide if I should stay in my relationship or not, or I've fallen out of love with my partner, but I don't want to hurt my children. Um, And I need some help navigating my feelings and what I want to do and how to do it in a healthy way. You've just summed up a direction that you want to go. So if somebody comes into me saying that, I'll say, tell me about that. Tell me about your relationship. What is it that, what are its strengths and weaknesses? What has made you think about leaving? And what I'm doing is just trying to pull out of you the information that lets me know who you are and what help you need and what direction you want to go. Now, there is a bit of a caveat here because therapists that do certain types of therapy, like if you see somebody through state-funded Medi-Cal therapy, they are required in the first session or two to fill out a huge kind of a form of a huge amount of history taking. So it may feel the first session or two to be very perfunctory with a whole lot of questions and a whole lot of yes or no answers. And you may feel like you're in some kind of interview. That's not because you've got a bad therapist. It's because that is required to be turned in for then your therapy to be paid for by Medi-Cal or often Medicare or whatever is going to happen. Also know that a therapist has to be uh, set up correctly with the right agencies in order to take certain insurances like Medicare for seniors or Medi-Cal or partnership or things like that. So you, not every therapist can take it because they haven't jumped through all the hoops to be able to. But when they do, they have to turn in those history-taking forms. The other thing is 
the therapist is listening for your therapeutic issues because if you are an insurance person or if they have to turn it in for billing or anything like that, they have to have a diagnosis for you. And it has to be an acceptable diagnosis. Like you can't just call somebody confused or grieving or um, they're dealing with a little bit of depression. Those things don't fly. It has to be a concrete medical diagnosis that has to be justified by the history taking and justified by the treatment plan when they are jumping through insurance payment hoops. So if they're looking for a diagnosis, you are quite free as a patient to say or as a client to say, what is the diagnosis you're giving me? Because sometimes you want to know that. I don't, there's some things you might not want on your record. But if that's what your diagnosis is, it's what it is. The therapist isn't going to lie about that. So getting ready for that first appointment, expect some history taking of your life and who you are. It's nice if you have a reason that you came into therapy. But if you don't, if it's just, you know what, I I just feel like I need some guidance. I I don't know where I'm going in life. I feel like I'm tired of my self-esteem feeling low. Um, I keep losing relationships or I keep losing friends or here's something I hear all the time. I keep my pickers broken. I keep picking bad people and I need to stop picking bad people in relationships and I don't know why I do that. So it's okay to just blurt out something like that. And recognize that it's your therapist's job to help make you comfortable and to help pull out of you the questions that they need answered to determine if you're in the right place, if they can help you, what direction you need to go, what would possibly be your therapeutic plan, um, and where are you going to go from here. By the end of a first session... I really like to be able to tell my clients, look, I'm hearing that these are the things you want to accomplish. And I'm feeling like if we can do a chunk of sessions, which might be two or three or five, I I try to kind of get a feel for that, that I feel like we can answer some of these questions for you, give you some coping skills, send you on a direction, and get to the bottom of some of these things. Now, sometimes I hear somebody with really complicated mood disorders on top of PTSD, on top of childhood trauma, you know, and stuff. And I know that this is not a two or three session thing. And I will tell people that. You have a lot of complicated issues. I really think we can dig into these and get into what the core belief, the core issues are underneath all of this and help you feel well. But you're going to have to probably make a pretty strong commitment to therapy, like maybe be here for a year. And I just try to be really honest with them about, what I'm seeing and and what kind of issues we need to deal with. And then occasionally somebody comes in and they present with, oh, this is just a simple little issue I want help with, but underneath is a whole lot of stuff, like a volcano ready to erupt, and it becomes apparent over time that this is way more complicated than the presenting session. So my goal with clients is to always make sure they feel informed, that I'm telling them what I'm thinking regarding this, that I try to give them hope while at the same time trying to lay out this is a direction I think we can go. Now, the other thing I tell clients very quickly is I will give you a bunch of homework. I'll give you books that I think you should read. I'll loan you books that I would like you to read. Um, 
my now my podcast. I've got over 120 titles on my podcast. I'll say, if you could listen to these three podcasts before our next visit, you're going to save yourself a ton of time and money. And so if you leave your session and go do the homework that the therapist might give you, you're going to save time and money when you come back. I also tell clients, look, if you can only work in here right now, I'm not going to slap your hand and tell you you're bad. That's okay. I just want to give you the opportunity to move through therapy as quickly as you can and as cost-effectively as possible. And so I will give you ideas of things I want you to do. I've had clients, you guys, over the years that do everything I ask them to do, and they grow exponentially so much faster than the clients who come back and hardly even thought about the session we did, let alone did their homework. So to make a commitment to therapy as almost like you're taking a class on yourself and you're going to get in and go deep and do your work, you're going to travel through much quicker and a more cost-effective manner. So the One of the points I'm making is you've got to get out of your own way. When I see a person walk in that has a lot of denial and resistance and they don't like to feel emotional pain and they avoid it like the plague and they blame everybody else and they're very stuck in being victims of somebody else's oppression or crime or whatever. And I'm I'm not saying like if you're a rape victim, I'm going to say, oh, you're stuck in being a victim. It's not that simple. But if you have a huge agenda not to ever take a deep look at yourself, your therapy is going to take a lot longer. Because sometimes the very first therapeutic thing that people do in therapy is to get through their denial and resistance at taking a good hard look at themselves. I get people who come into therapy who hit the ground running. They have no denial and resistance. They're They say, look, if you see something in me, I want you to hit me with it, basically. I want you to tell me. And I I always smile at them and say, you can count on that, by the way, (laughs) because that's my job. I will do it in a way that's tactful and kind and loving, but I'm going to take you deep inside yourself. And if you're not ready to go deep inside yourself, my first therapeutic process with you is help you get willing to go deep inside yourself. So we can get to the core issues of what's going on with you so you can actually heal from deep inside, not just heal the little surface thing that happened. And that's what really good strong therapy is about. It's it's just important for you to get out of your own way and go deep. But you've got to have somebody who's capable of taking you there. You've got to step into it and you've got to Try to get comfortable. You've got to speak up and stand in your truth. And that's a a podcast of mine you can listen to called Standing in Your Truth. And be ready to do your stuff and to do your work. And remember that you can't get anything done if you don't go. So make the call. Find somebody you're comfortable with. Get your financial stuff all set up with it. And show up ready to do some work and go deep into yourself. Because if you really do that, by the time you're done with your therapy, you're going to be so glad you went. It's important. All right. Well, this is Dr. Patricia Bay, and you've been listening to Therapy in a Nutshell. And as Dr. Patty, I just want to help heal the world one hour at a time.
The news from Town Hall is brought to you on KCNR Shasta Reading by Shasta Regional Medical Center. Your life, your health, your choice. Shasta Regional Medical Center.